And now, coming to the stage at six foot five, three-time Drake Relays champion, one-time state champion, collegiate All-American, Jeff Burris. If I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. Tonight you're going to hear a story about someone who God redeemed, restored, and changed from the inside out. Someone who, at your age, was so selfish, shallow, superficial, and materialistic that it might surprise you beyond what you could be imagined. Someone who was into self-worship through the accolades and achievements that he received on the comp competitive uh, track and field and running cross-country. But I also want to share the story because I think it's important to understand the transformation that can be made in each of our lives um, if we allow God to come in. Hi, my name is Jeff, and as uh, Ben mentioned, I'm a big house leader here, a family group. Uh, this is my second year, and um, I just want to echo first Katie's comments from last week. She did a phenomenal job, and um, I am so proud of each and every one of you to give up, typically for many of you, which is your only one free night of the week, whether you participate in athletics or extracurricular or other activities, um, and to come here and spend two, three hours um, is absolutely amazing. One of the things that specifically attracted me to Big House um, when Nikki asked me a couple of years ago if I would consider being a leader was the fact that it doesn't matter where you are in your faith. It doesn't matter if you go to church or don't go to church. We're all in different places in our faith and we're all growing at different paces and levels. And that's one of the neat things that really attracted me to this program. And so again, I just want to thank you um, for spending some time this evening to listen to this. So the title of my message tonight, if you want to go to that next slide, is, What is Your Walk-Up Song? And for those of you that play baseball or have attended maybe a Major League Baseball game, um, baseball players are notoriously known for having a walk-up song. And if you have been at a game and you'll hear a song and they'll show the player's uh, face up on the screen, and that song typically might depict a couple of different things. One, it might get them motivated to go to bat. Um, number two, it might reflect a little bit about who they are on the inside. Um, and so as a result of that, as you'll hear throughout my story this evening, 
Music has been a huge, huge part of my life ever since I was a young child. And as a result of that, um, I think we all have, whether we listen to music a lot or a little, um, all have a, a certain song that we walk to each and every day. Whether when you go to school, um, how you interact with friends, family, and perhaps even strangers. And so I think this title for myself, um, and what you're going to hear this evening too, is how my walk-up song has changed over time when I was your age compared to where I am today, and how God has transformed me, and why that song changed the way it did. A little bit about my family first. I am, uh, there's a picture a couple years ago. Married my wife Natalie. We celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary last year. Yes, that's, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, our oldest son, Nate, is a sophomore right now at Iowa State, studying engineering in names. And then my youngest, uh, he's a little taller now than that picture. Um, Joel is a junior at Cedar Falls. And um, so blessed to be able to have all those guys in my life. And it's just been an absolute um, blast to be their father and be my wife's husband. And um, just a, a great family. Talk about my childhood first. And so my story of faith um, really starts at a very young age. There is one sweet photo there. I'm going to get out so everybody can see it. So I'm rocking that cool kind of red collar, whatever that thing is with the cool collar. And uh, I was the oldest of four children. I grew up in Ames. And uh, my younger brother, John, is two years younger than myself. My younger sister, Jennifer, is three years younger. And uh, my youngest brother, Jason, is seven years, and I are, were apart. And um, that was a beautiful photo, probably before church or something, maybe. But uh, that gives you an idea. Again, the oldest child of four in the family. And uh, just love them all to death. And they're just a great, um, great siblings. I couldn't ask for any better siblings um, to have today. My childhood begins at a young age, like I said, in terms of church. And I always remember um, going to church at a young age. We would always go as a family. Um, I think my mother, more than anybody else, probably drove that um, in terms of going um, to church on a consistent basis. And so at a very young age, I always remember going to church, uh, sitting in the pew, um, singing the hymnal songs, um, and listening to the sermons and messages. Um, but I will tell you, my parents never really told us why we were going to church. It was just something I thought you did. Um, you know, similar to checking the box in terms of going to school Monday through Friday, or going to an athletic or an extracurricular music event or something like that. It was just something that you did on Sunday mornings for an hour. And so I don't blame them for that. I think that was probably, uh, in large part, their generation. Um, but I did not have the true appreciation and understanding behind the reasons why I was going to church and the importance of that, and more important, having the reverence um, for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Um, so again, as I went through my early childhood, I obviously did Sunday school um, every Sunday. And then um, as we got into confirmation, the church I went to in Ames, um, we attended confirmation from seventh through ninth grade, kind of similar to Big House. There wasn't any music. It was just typically one of the pastors would have a, a message and you would meet together as a group. Um, as I look back in terms of uh, attending confirmation class, I will tell you, for me, it was really a time for me to goof off on Wednesday nights. I did not go to really learn about Jesus and my faith or grow at all in that. It was something my parents said, you're going to go to confirmation class. I just thought it was something you naturally did. And as a result of that, um, really didn't get a lot out of it. Um, I remember one time specifically that uh, there was this video game place just down the street from the church I went to in Ames. 
And so we would have dinner before, and there was a little time in between before you actually had the confirmation class. And I would always try to go down and play. I loved playing video games, and pinball machines especially. And so I remember one time in particular I was down there and um, wasn't keeping track of time at all, and I had a little pat on my shoulder. And I thought, who the heck is that? And I said, now, now I'm in the midst of getting a high score, whatever it may be. And I turned around, it was the pastor of the church. And he said, Jeff, it's time for you to come back to church. And uh, confirmation's already started. Um, they obviously knew that I was going to play down video games, and I did that pretty consistently. Um, but obviously, that was a pretty embarrassing moment when I get drugged down back uh, to church and uh, really um, was more driven um, by doing other things, ha having a great time with my friends rather than learning more about Jesus. In junior high, I was extremely, extremely materialistic. And the next slide I want to show up, okay, this is a picture of a Nike Cortez shoe. And for in the early 80s, when I was in uh, junior high, I always, and these are coming back, by the way. I think one of the singers uh, up here, yeah, yeah these, are, these shoes are coming back. I mean, it's funny how things in the 80s and 90s are now coming back. But... Um, I absolutely love this shoe, and I was convinced that if I could have this shoe, um, I would be the cool person. I would be the person that everybody would want to hang around with because all the cool people that I thought were cool at school had these shoes. And they were, um, I thought by getting that kind of shoe, I would be more accepted by people. I would be in, like I said, the cool group. Um, and as a result, our family didn't have a lot of money. Don't misunderstand me. My parents, we always had food on the table. I always had shoes to wear, always had clothes. That was never an issue. Um, but I never felt like we had these other kinds of, these were higher-end shoes, certainly, at the time. And um, I look back now and realize how foolish that was and how shallow and superficial just to think that if I have a pair of shoes, I'm going to be cool or I'm going to be looked at by my friends, by the group that I want to be accepted by, um, by the kinds of shoes I have, or the clothes that I'm wearing. Name brands, as opposed to just a standard brand um, that we would have. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And I will tell you, back when I was your age, my treasure was in the materialistic things. And um, as a result, it was clearly in the wrong place in terms of where Jesus tells us it should be. One program I will say that was neat about the church that we had, they had this thing, obviously growing up in Ames, Iowa State University um, was a big part of that community, and they had a lot of foreign exchange students there. One thing that the church was involved with there was called the Foreign Furniture Exchange Program, whereby it was a program on Saturday mornings. Um, we would go down and we'd go to this garage depot, if you will, and uh, drive a big old red truck, and we'd drive around town and pick up furniture from people that would just literally just throw it out at the end of their driveway. And then what we would do in turn is deliver that, typically to foreign exchange students who didn't have the means or the ability to get that kind of furniture, and then actually set it up in their houses. And I remember specifically going to certain um, apartment complexes throughout Iowa State campus and delivering that furniture um, to uh, individuals. It was that program that I thought was so neat that was clearly a God moment uh, in my life. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 through 12, 
It says, the greatest among you be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, when I look back at this program, when I was your age and, and helping my father, typically he would drag me out of bed on Saturday mornings to do this program. I looked at it as just something he wanted me to do. Um, I had better things to do as a teenager on Saturday mornings and go get in a red truck and drive around town and pick up furniture. Um, but it was clearly a moment that God, um, I was, was opening the door and allowing him to come in. At the time, I had no idea um, that that was clearly taking place. In junior high, I, um, I realized at a very young age um, that I had been given a gift, and I think at the time, I thought it was all myself and everything that I had done as a result. It, I did not look at it as any gifts that God had given me. And as a result, I learned on, in elementary school, I realized pretty quickly um, through playing uh, PE in terms of uh, tag, um, kickball, any type of running game that was involved. I was one of the faster kids in class. And I realized as I continued to progress through elementary school and started to get into formalized track in junior high that I had um, a gift above more than what many other kids had in terms of uh, speed and the ability to run fast. And um, as a result of that, as I transitioned into high school, um, there were three main things that I valued in high school as I ran. And uh, the three things was number one, running fast. Number two, it was very important to me at the time to have a girlfriend or be in a relationship at all times. That was absolutely critical to me. I had to have a girlfriend. Number three um, was listening to my music. Music to me, as I mentioned earlier, um, has always been a big part of my life. Back then, it was a way that I used to relax. It was a way in which I used to motivate myself. Um, when I would go for runs, I'd listen to music constantly. And even when I was preparing for a big race or a competitive uh, opportunity, I would always listen to music. And that was true through high school and even through college as I transitioned there. But I will tell you those three things, running fast, having a girlfriend, being in a relationship, and number three, listening to my music, placed priority above everything else. I pushed everything else aside. Nothing else mattered. Um, to me at that point. What I didn't realize at the time in high school was there was a very tough coach. It was one of those old school coaches um, that was not afraid to call you out if you weren't um, stepping up. And it wasn't so much about performing at a high level in terms of getting first place, but rather it was getting the most out of you at practice. And he truly was of the mindset that you were going to perform in meets and competition and more importantly in the game of life on how you come into practice each and every day and how you compete and work hard. Um, at the time, I hated my coach, absolutely hated him. Um, but I will tell you, without him, I would not be before you today because um, with him and his drive and motivation to get the most out of me, I had earned a scholarship, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but he also taught me a lot of things, which at the time I was too immature to realize in terms of how to get, um, feel comfortable when adversity strikes you. And I did not win every race. I'm not gonna stand up before you tonight and say, I won every single race, because I didn't. But I was very immature in how I handled losing. Because I was one of those individuals that I just didn't wanna beat you, I wanted to crush you. And crush you really bad. And I was not a nice person on the track. Um, in fact, my wife jokes, she uh, grew up in Ankeny, and uh, she's two years younger than myself, and she was involved in track as a manager and, and so forth. And she remembers watching me compete when Ames would compete against Ankeny. And she uh, joked that, um, she goes, I always thought you were a cocky jerk in high school. And uh, we laugh about that now, um, but there was probably a lot to that, honestly, uh, in the way I competed. 
My walk-up songs in high school, when I was your age, would have been two. We Are the Champions by Queen and Winning It All by the Outfield. We are the champions. No time for losers, because we are the champions of the world. And again, this song is played, not played as much anymore, but it used to be played a lot after championships when teams would win a, a, a title. And uh, the second verse, uh, the second part of the uh, song, the winning it all, was winning it all, ain't going to walk away, giving it all, no matter what you say, ain't going to fall, don't want to lose today, winning it all. And again, those two things drove me significantly. So if you want to go to the next slide, I'm going to show you a couple pictures. So as I started to um, have some success on the track, um, the local newspaper back then, in the 80s, there was not a lot of other competing activities. And so um, it was not uncommon. Um, every week, I would get an article or two mentioning me. And it was these kinds of articles um, that drove me even more to get more, art, um, more recognition, if you will. And as a result, self-worship even more so than I was before um, because of this press. Back then, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't social media. There was no Twitter or anything else like that. How you got your media was newspapers. And um, as a result of that, um, it just perpetuated. and It was like a constant wheel that I could not get enough recognition. And I also felt if I got this kind of recognition, that the cool people, again, would accept me and like me, and I could be in the right group of people. And again, that's, that type of thinking is so shallow and superficial, and clearly not what God teaches us at all. Um, but at the same time, um, it was a great lesson that has made me who I am today. Again, as I mentioned before, my high school coach was just absolutely phenomenal. And um, because of him, I know God put him in this, in this world for a reason, and he coached for 50 years and uh, made a huge difference in my, li difference in my life. And as a result, that was another God moment. Oops, uh-oh. Pardon? I took that off. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. And um, is that right? no. there we go. That's better. Um, and again, as I indicated before, I had the opportunity to compete at a high level and got recognition. I had scholarship offers from the University of Iowa, Iowa State. University of Northern Iowa, and the University of Missouri at the time. Ultimately came down to a decision between University of Missouri and UNI, and I decided to uh, attend UNI. I absolutely believe to this day um, that, if I can get this off here, I gotta be careful with this microphone. That decision, hang on, okay. That decision, that's it here, hang on. All right, what are we gonna do? So that decision was, uh, that decision was uh, again, a God moment for that coach. And I went to UNI for a couple of reasons. One, it was close to my family, obviously growing up in Ames, it wasn't very far away. Um, but number two, um, I was really attracted to the coach there, who really cared about us as individuals and as people, um, but also was very passionate about building a huge um, program on the Division I level, and that's what really attracted me. As I went to UNI uh, and competed, if you want to go to the next slide, I continued to have a lot of success on the track. In fact, my first race I ran for UNI, I broke a record, school record. And um, that was my freshman year. This is a picture of my junior year in track. Back then, as you can see, I had a lot more hair. So uh, one of the things I've been gifted to is thinning hair, but that's in the family tree. And um, 
But again, as I went to you and I, um, I still continued this self-worship and um, the, the materialistic side of my life. And um, I'm not proud of it um, and how I approach that. Um, one thing I did start doing when I was uh, my sophomore year, I think, at UNI, was I started to attend a team uh, Bible study um, that UNI was putting on. Actually, the, uh, one of the coaches actually just held up on the side. And uh, that was truly a God moment in my life in terms of, if I can get this off here. There we go. That was a God moment. But I will tell you, again, to show you how superficial and shallow I was, I was more convinced about being seen at that Bible study than I was learning about Jesus. But clearly, he, I, was let, he, I was letting him in, and it was another opportunity for me to start to grow in my faith. I think just taking that step to going, even if I wanted to be there just to be seen, obviously I was going for the Bible study itself. As I transitioned into my first job after I graduated from college, I got a job here in town. And um, one of the things I was attracted to, I attended a church here locally for uh, many years before I got married. And as such, um, there was an opportunity with a local church here that would serve the homeless. And I asked my employer at the time to say if I could have some time off to help with them. Again, that was a huge God moment because God was coming into my life, letting, I was letting him in, and was creating an opportunity for me um, to serve the less fortunate. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as I then transitioned on, um, I got married, married my wife. We dated seven years before we got married. Got married in 1994. She had a full-time job in town here. Um, things were going great. Um, we bought our first house right after we got married, and then we actually transitioned and built our dream home in 2002. We had been blessed with our first child in 2000. Everything was going absolutely perfect. I thought my life was great. We were going to church, everything was good. And then this happened. And if you wanna to go to the next slide. So I got a call January 11th, 2003. And it was from the sister of one of my track and field uh, teammates at UNI, and my roommate actually and there had been a car crash the night before. And my roommate was 37 years old at the time, and his two youngest kids that were ages seven and five were killed in that car crash. And that shook me to my core. I remember getting that phone call still like it was yesterday. I sobbed in my wife's arms. I couldn't understand how such good people um, could be killed at such a young age, especially two young children. As I drove up that Tuesday morning up to Minnesota, for the funeral and went to the funeral. Obviously, I had never been to a funeral with young children involved. And it was so, so difficult for me. I was angry at God. I was pissed off, frankly, um, how he could take someone away from that who truly loved the Lord. Um, but again, it was a God moment in my life. It was not something that, for me, my mindset was not clearly um, where God looks at. Our viewpoint from an earthly standpoint is completely different. In Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. After this happened, I really started to read a lot of faith books. I listened mostly to Christian music and became much more involved in the church. I would say, think of your image taking yourself off the throne 
and putting yourself on the cross like Jesus has done for each and every one of us in this room. And when you have that mindset that you're going to take yourself off the throne, in my case, taking myself off the accolades, the self-worship, the materialistic side of me, and actually putting myself on the cross and trying to be selfless, that is a very powerful, powerful situation. My high school track coach retired in 2010. Um, when he retired, I drove down to that um, uh, situation, actually event, I should say, and wrote a letter to him after that and just thanked him on how much I appreciate what he did for me. I was never mature enough to do that 20 years ago, not in a million years, but it was through God and what he was doing in my life and transforming me to be able to do that. We'll go back to the old way. With the metals not clanking, that'll make it a little easier. Um, so as we raised our boys in the church and assist, I assisted with their confirmation classes, again, another God moment in which I felt I needed to step up and teach them what it was like to love the Lord and follow him each and every day. But I also tell you that simply, I had actually accumulated the mindset that my parents had, that I thought for many years, just taking my kids to church, they would by osmosis or realizing by um, attending physically every Sunday, that would be good enough, but it's not the case at all. Two things happened to me then. One, I ran into a book called Not a Fan. And this book by Kyle Alderman absolutely shook me to my core. Again, I was growing a lot of my faith, so I thought, but the Not a Fan book basically called me out, and I realized at that point that I was still sitting in the stands. And basically the premise of the book is, even if you listen to Christian music and you tithe and you do all these other things that the church tells you you should do that are important, um, you need to get out of the stands and into the game. And that means how you interact each and every day, not just with people that like you, but people maybe that don't like you. And how you do that each and every day is really how you grow in your faith and become the Christian and the person that Jesus wants you to be. The other one was a, a CD that my mother-in-law had actually given me as I was teaching confirmation called The Best Way to Live. And effectively what The Best Way to Live talks about is how having a relationship with Jesus is truly the best way to live and becoming the best version of yourself each and every day as you go to school, as you compete, um, whether it be athletically or extracurricular, how you, uh, the types of relationships that you have. And are you surrounding yourself with the kinds of people that are making you better each and every day, that are building you up? So in closing, what I really want to get to you today is a couple of things. Number one, don't wait till you're in your 40s like me to really find your faith and discover the love for Jesus that he has for you because it's so powerful. And that's why I love Big House because I think you guys are so much further ahead than I certainly was at your age um, on your faith journey. You also need to understand it never ends. Um, just because you accept Jesus to be the Lord of your life, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Um, number two, spend time uh, with God daily. You can do this in many different ways. I do it in the car when I'm traveling. I do it as I'm going before a meeting with clients before a big meeting. Um, obviously, prayer is very important, but there's all kinds of ways in which you can pray. And then number three, ask yourself, what's your current walk-up song? Does it reflect what God's intention and desire is for you today or maybe in the future? And if you're like me, my walk-up song changed over time. The song that played when I first walked up was called My Story by Big Daddy Weave, and that would be my walk-up song today. I just absolutely love that song, and it just really speaks a lot to me. As I started preparing for this, 
in talking with Ben, um, I realized I listen to Christian music probably 95% of the time now. And I think one of the big reasons why I do is to me it affirms who God says I am each and every day, and I know that I'm loved. And that, to me, is so powerful. Again, you guys are going to become the product of the people you hang out with, the TV shows you watch, the movies you watch, the books you read, um, and the friends, like I said, you hang out with. Andy Stanley said it best. Your friends will define the direction and the quality of your life. Keep this in mind. You will be known by what you accomplish in life. Again, I'm probably known by many people as a runner. But your character and integrity will determine whether you were worth knowing in this life. So think about that. You will be known by what you accomplish in this life. But your character and integrity will determine whether you were worth knowing. So as I invite the band back up here, I'd like to close with a prayer. Dear God, we just give thanks for your never-ending grace, your mercy, your unconditional love for each and every one of us in this room. We pray that as we go about through this day and each and every day thereafter, you help us to learn more about you, to grow closer to you, and to become more about the best version of ourselves each and every day. We pray that on this Ash Wednesday and in these next 40 days as we move to Lent and to the risen Son, Jesus Christ, that we can be truly reflective on what you've done for us and make a difference in the lives of so many other people each and every day. In your name we lift up this prayer. Amen.